Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today we have Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors on the line. Uh, going to talk a little bit about um, just Western hunting in general, kind of um, maybe some some hunts that you can do that aren't as involved as our, our elk hunt or um, kind of things like that. You know, we're planning the our um, antelope hunt and so hopefully we can glean a little bit of information from him on that um so how you doing tonight cody pretty good about yourself we're doing good i'd say i mean it's not snowing and it's march so we're we're looking forward to turkey season and kind of getting out of this funk of the winter time so for you guys like is that kind of the next big thing is turkey season yeah so i mean that's kind of what i want to get get at on the podcast is like for us you know, there isn't spring bear here, you know, we're in Michigan. So it's like, we've got turkey season and then from turkey season, there's like nothing to hunt. It's fishing season. And then, (laughs) and then, you know, September is small game. So there's a big chunk in the middle there where we're kind of looking for something to do. So is, uh, I guess what's the big fishing that you guys do? Should we walleye fish, perch? Um, uh, some of the guys like to go out in the big lake, go after salmon, steelhead, steelhead in the rivers. So oh, that's it's, right. It's, hey, you guys do have salmon and steelhead. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're uh, we're right, uh, you know, maybe five miles from Lake Michigan. So I mean, that's right where we're at. We we take a lot of that for granted because um, there's lakes and rivers, and you know, the fishing opportunities here are you know right around the corner i mean we're 100 yards from a lake right now so it's yeah there's a lake in between his house and my house so <laughs> so fishing's on the brand in the summertime well in the winter time too because once yeah. once whitetail season stops you're and you're looking forward to 
to turkey season, then it's ice fishing. So, uh, that's funny. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. I mean, you guys doing the elk hunt thing. I'm kind of curious to ask you a few about that. I'm gonna try not to take over your podcast because I asked too many questions as a fellow podcaster. But uh, it'd be kind of fun to talk about that. But yeah, I mean, it is your show. So if if I just keep rambling, be sure to like, hey, remind me. <laughs> no, no, no. You know. Part of it is our listeners want to hear from us, and part of it they want to hear from the guests. So I think, you know, they they definitely want to hear from John. They hear a lot from me, so <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. So I guess for anybody that's not familiar, um, can you give us a, a background on, like, your history with, uh, with hunting and then, you know, kind of how that moved into the podcast and kind of the things that you're doing right now? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I pretty much started hunting – before I could walk, uh, I was in the pack and just grew up hunting. I don't, I don't even remember my first hunt. So, uh, yeah, but it's always kind of just been my, one of my biggest passions. And I, you know, grew up on a farm and wandered around and shot all kinds of critters and cooked them in the back country. What I thought was back country, more like back up, upper 40. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And from there, my dad had a huge obsession with elk. And so naturally I followed down that path and, I uh, had a huge obsession with elk from the beginning and got into archery. I was probably nine or 10 and uh, just kind of has grown from there. It started as elk hunting, you know, locally. And when that was, wasn't enough, then I started going to Idaho. And, and from there, it kind of just blossomed into hunting all over the country and chasing elk. And, and that's kind of grown into, you know, what's next, what's next. And eventually, you know, I was basically tired of the magazine podcast or the magazine ads and or magazine articles i guess and just wasn't enough information i thought it'd be cool to do a podcast and so ended up doing a started a podcast about four years ago now and uh been doing it ever since and loving it still obsessed with elk but i also like to chase just about everything out west so and i mean i haven't got to hunt much on the east side of the country but um, pretty much game for anything that's an adventure. So that's kind of my background and I guess my uh, philosophy, if you will. So with all of your, your hunts and if I correct me if I'm wrong, but you were coming from Oregon, right? So it's like mm-hmm. from, you were going East to hunt West kind of like for us. Yeah. Right. So yeah. When people say coming out West, like I grew up 30 minutes from the ocean. So uh, realistically, I always went east to go hunting for most everything. I mean, I still hunted Roosevelt's on the coast, but like when you grow up on the coast, uh, hunting Roosevelt's and blacktails is fun, but like it's always one of the big trips to go over east. And you know, we call it over east, which is like eastern Oregon. Um, but yeah, most of everything I've done. So almost similarly, like, you know, I've, I've deer hunted in places that I was like 17, 18 hours away from home so kind of like you guys coming out west you know me essentially going east to mule deer hunt for 18 hour drives uh yeah that was kind of yeah going east not west (laughs) (laughs) so with that your trips to uh the eastern western states what i don't don't know how to approach that we'll we'll call it west for (laughs) sake of consistency yeah out west so, um, what, what species have you hunted? And I guess what is your favorite to hunt? Um, I've hunted 
most species uh, outside of like trophy species. And I've done a little bit of that, but not a lot. So, you know, trophy species out West would be considered like your sheep, your goat, your moose. Um, and so those I haven't spent much time hunting, but pretty much everything else I've hunted uh, from whitetails. And I love hunting whitetails in Oregon. Uh, you know, turkeys all over, mule deer, elk. By far, you know, I think my I think elk is definitely my favorite. It's my go-to. Uh, I love hunting elk. But at the same time, I, I mean, I love hunting everything else. So, like, I'm pretty passionate about elk hunting, but I don't think I've ever missed, you know, a deer season of some kind and uh bear season and turkey season antelope season whatever it may be you know uh unfortunately archery elk season is only open for one month out of the year yeah you know that that's i, I want to get into that because you know we're going to go uh we're planning to do an antelope hunt and i've got a million questions even just about timing and pressure um but before we get into that it might be might kind of transition into that but so for a guy who wants to do one of these uh western trips and you know we did our elk hunt and we had this idea in our head of like what we needed to do how it was gonna play out and the amount of preparation that went into it was i couldn't even tell you 10 months six eight uh, six months at least of, you know, just living, breathing, trying to take in everything that we could, um, for elk hunting. And I'd say we got out there and I mean, I was just talking to somebody at the BHA event a week or so ago and it was like, you get out there and then it's like, well, shit, what do we do now? (laughs) Because you can read about it or, you know, listen to people talk about it and study all the maps and do all that stuff. But when it starts not going the way that you thought it was going to go or, or whatever, it's like, man, you, you had to do enough research to figure it out. And so I think for an elk hunt, there's even just with the gear, a pretty substantial barrier to entry. Um, whether you're going to go with a guide and it's going to cost you five grand or something like that. Cause I think, I mean, that's, my dad goes out rifle, um, in Colorado and, and that's kind of like the rate and that's not, doesn't include tags or anything like that. Um, but his gear situation is much different than what we were doing, you know, hiking and, and bringing everything with us. So I guess on those, what would be a good hunt to kind of dip your toes into going out West? Man, I don't know. Like this goes, there's so many variables here and it just, it, it would depend so much. Like if you have a longing to just hunt elk at some point in your life, uh, I, I really do think it's, I, I think people put it on a pedestal. One thing, as you were talking, it makes me think like, you know, when you guys thought about an elk hunt before you're like, okay, we're going to do this. And you start planning on a scale of one to 10, what was the difficulty level that you thought it was at that point? Or like how overwhelming was it? You know, how, how, how high on the pedestal did you, did you put that hunt? 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and that's, that's coming from John. So like I have a background with the Marines. So the. So it's similar. I mean, it's just planning and logistics, right? Yeah. But I mean, I think like at the core of it, it was like, 
getting back out there with a pack on my back and getting to move, you know. Yeah, but even, I mean, that's not, I mean, just from my point of view is the never hunting elk, you know, we're coming from a whitetail state where, you know, we go out, we do a little scouting and hang tree stands or carrier stands in, set up on runways, you know, and funnels, whatever. So now we're going out to Idaho and to a spot we've never been and we're hunting an animal we've never, we have no, you know, history with at all. And so learning how to call, learning, you know, what to look for, uh, you know, and I mean, yeah, the, the backpack, you know, backcountry, you know, camping and hiking and all that. I mean, I've never done it and it was a little bit, you know, intimidating at first, but it was more about the hunt, you know, going after an elk and like, like Adam was saying, getting out there and trying to figure it out, you know, all right, we're here now, what do we do? You know, so that was the part for me that was the toughest. Well, and what I lead to that question with is, is basically, you know, I, how hard did you think it was? And then driving back, how different did you, did you feel like, man, if I did that again, I, I think we could really do it. Or like, what was the, the conversation on the trip home? What? So the whole time, I, I mean, I, I probably told it to John last week when we were shooting. It's like, I feel like I let John down, um, just in the sense of like twofold. Like, so John, like I, I learned how to call elk, but I learned how to make elk noises. John was studying to be Paul Medell. So like, <laughs> so he knew like every situation of like how to, what to, what the sound was, everything. And so situationally, John is a thousand percent better caller um, than I am. But we called this bull for, so first of all, our so we had realistic expectations, I feel like. So we went out there with the expectation of hear an elk, see an elk, and get an opportunity. That was it. Because we knew what we didn't know. Like So we, we went out there in a, kind of a low-density elk area um, with some inside information from uh, someone who has a, a property out there and who had hunted the area before. And then we took everything that we learned, kind of put all our eggs in like, we had like a plan A, B, and C kind of. And, um, you know, so that was our, that was our expectation going out there. Well, you know, we, we called in three elk, um, to bow range. Um, and just, it didn't work out. And one was because of wind. One was because of timing me, our setup. Um, and then the other one was just, I mean, there was just enough barrier between us with all the deadfall and everything. I mean, and why I say I let him down is I like, I had a 62 yard shot at, I, you know, for a guy that's never, that it's seen three elk in his life or five elk or, or whatever. Um, you know, we called it a spike, a raghorn, and then a giant with whale tails and, you know, wider than my shoulders, just a, a giant. If, in, in my eyes, you know what I mean? And like I said, we yeah. saw, we saw him in that order. So we saw a spike and then a raghorn and then, you know, what was probably the herd bull. Um, and 
I had him at 62 yards, but I was standing on a deadfall eight feet up in the air, and I had a one-foot section to shoot, you know, 30 yards in front of me that everything would have had to go perfect. And I was like, I can't take that shot. Um, I feel like John might have taken that shot. It was an hour-plus calling sequence to make everything come together. Um, But on the way back, it was like if we would have had two more days, we would have killed an elk. I wouldn't even... Yeah, for sure we would. And let me just say that I was not disappointed in, in <laughs> with Adam. I mean, I, well, I told him, I said, I would have been more disappointed if you would have taken that shot thinking that, you know, it wasn't your opportunity just because you thought you were letting me down and then wounded the animal or, you know, it, then, then I would have been disappointed. But uh-huh. I... I that right, th- I mean, that calling sequence with the big bull, that made my trip. I mean, it, we didn't kill anything. I don't even care. It was awesome. I mean, the the interaction I had with that bull, I mean, I was screaming at him, and he would scream back, and it was, I mean, my knuckles were bloody, and we're, I was full of black soot from rolling around in, in, the, uh, in the burn, and, I mean, it was unbelievable. So, but, yeah, on the way back, that's that was our conversation You're like man if we had a couple more days i'm confident we would have killed a would killed an elk how many days did you guys go for we hunted eight days eight days yeah, yeah. it seems like a lot until you start elk hunting and exactly <laughs> it burns through fast well it took us five days to yeah get on the elk and then we had three encounters in three days i mean yeah it was just we found so, out at that point. To circle back on your question on like, you know, what's the what's the best, you know, entry level hunt? It's it's hard because to me there's nothing like that experience. And I don't think there's anything out there out here, out west, that will hook a guy like that experience of that bull with whale tails coming in and all the adrenaline that goes along with it. Like you like we could I mean, antelope is a great hunt. It's a good starter kit, and I think it, it's it's fun, but it is nowhere near the same intensity level as going on an elk hunt. And so, it's it's hard because it depends on the person. And you know, I mean, all of, you can do either. Um, I do think that people put coming out west and hunting elk on a pedestal, and I think there's a few things like people can do a little bit better. Not to like downplay what you guys did i think you did it was great i mean you got into elk that was a huge accomplishment and you know if luck would have lady luck would have swung just a little bit in either direction uh on a couple scenarios you'd be having you know elk steaks right now uh but there's probably i mean you can probably look back on it yourselves and be like well you know here's what we would have done differently and those types of things um here's you know the i think more so people get wrapped up in the elk calling. And to me, I don't know that that's the most important thing. I think the ability to find elk quickly and efficiently is, I think, the biggest problem when you go on your first elk hunt. I think a lot of people spend five days finding elk and then two days trying to call elk in. Don't get me wrong, like, calling elk, it's great and it's really important as well, but being efficient in finding elk and being efficient with your what if scenarios or plan B scenarios, I think is one of the most important things and most underrated things. Would you guys agree, kind of in your experience? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was it was four day. We we seen our first elk on the fourth day. Um, yeah. But then we the what happened with us is we got hung up. We didn't stick to our original plan because once we mm-hmm. seen that first elk, then we kind of like we kept kind of going going back. Well, that first elk on the fourth day, we were walking up calling and we got a response. Then it happened so fast, and then the wind switched up on us, and then we got got done with that one, kind of regrouped, and it was an hour later, hour and a half, two hours later, we set up and did some blind calling, and all of a sudden that's when the raghorn come in on us, and so and it was right within what three hundred yards or so from where, the, so we we didn't go with our original plan and head back to where we originally wanted to go. And till the the last, well, the second to last day is when we finally made it back there. And that's where we found like the mother load base. We found the wallow. We found, <laughs> it was, you know, we found his bedroom and yeah. it was tore up and it was. We blew a herd of elk yeah. out of there just getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And so. And that's, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's what you're looking for. Right. Right. So like what, I think I've had enough experiences, um, you know, kind of in my early 20s, I was working a lot, and some years I would not get very much time to get an elk on. You know, I'd have uh, three or four days here or there, and I, w- I would be stuck in a hotel room somewhere just thinking about elk hunting, and so I had a lot of time to plan. And so basically I learned to be as efficient with my three or five days that I possibly could. And so I was like, okay, here, here's where we're going to go. And like, you have to hunt every day like it's your last day, like – I, the first three days I'm there, I'm going to cover ground nonstop 18 hours a day and try to, I got to find a mother load. Cause I know there's a mother load somewhere. Like here's a pile of elk just going bonkers somewhere. I just got to find them. Uh, and so like, that's, you know, when I come to a new state, if you, if you threw a dart of a map in Idaho and said, I had to hunt there this year, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to map out every single possible plan, not even plan A through D. Like I want to know every plan that's possible. And then I'm going to try to rethink, okay, where are the people going to be? And I'm going to just map out what I think all the people are going to be. And now I'm going to map out, you know, all these different scenarios. I'm like, okay, I really like this. Now, how, now how do I be efficient with my scenario? So how do I, you know, what side of the mountain are most of my plans look like I could cover in the shortest amount of time? So, like, if I, this entire unit, right, and it, just, just imagine uh, this unit makes up one mountain, which is almost never happens. But, like, hypothetically, it's just one mountain in the middle of this unit. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, I have six hunt plans on the north end of this unit. I could hunt, you know, all these drainages. I could go up this ridge and check this saddle. I could check this north face. And then on the south end, I have two or three, and they're spread out 10 miles apart. The first place I want to look is definitely the north side of that unit just because the efficiency of being able to hunt six different hunts, seven different hunts, you know, consecutively and be right on top of one of another, one one after the other. And so, like, just thinking about things like that and, like, how I plan. I don't know if that helps you guys kind of think about, you know, when you're going out there. I think so many people are like, oh, I'm going to go to Idaho. Yeah, you know, they kind of plan it out, but they really don't have the plan B like they should and i think a lot of people have you know okay here's what we're gonna do if that doesn't work we'll go here i mean that is to me that is an insufficient plan like we gotta have this mapped out every single scenario we can and that's the thing is like when you don't have the ability to scout it and you're not on the ground all summer looking at it 
then I think it's really important to kind of go through as much as that checklist in your head as you can or on paper as you can before you get there. Well, I think the hard part about that, and I think I think you're 100% right for the next time we go out there. But if you're mm-hmm. if you're not tagging along with someone who's done it before, and you're just looking at each other like, well, what do we do? Like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? It's like, <laughs> how long do you spend at each of those places? I mean, because the first place we walked into was overrun with tracks and rubs. There was an old wallow, but there was no sound whatsoever. There was no yeah. calling, no anything. Not only that, I mean, we we didn't see an elk in that, that area. But like I said, there was a ton of tracks. I mean rubs everything you know it looked it looked good it just they weren't there yeah which it's tough for me it could have been they were there early in the summer they might have moved they could have got pushed by wolves uh predators people you know just elk tend to move i mean they they'll, they'll bounce over a canyon no problem right um which is tough for me you don't know you don't know um like if i went whitetail deer hunting up in your guys's country and i'm like well there's deer sign everywhere there should be deer here uh you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't mean that, <laughs> which is tough. You know, you never know. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So how long are you spending in an area? Or what is the, the, at what point do you make the decision that you're going to boogie? Like, like, are we talking, like, there's a couple variations. So, I mean, I spent most of my time these days looking for the top one to 5% of bulls in a unit. Um, so I'm looking for the 350 bull in the area or a 400 bull if, if it exists or something, you know, the, the top minute percentage point of an elk. If I was going to, and this year I think I am actually going to go to Idaho, um, we are going to take one of my Patreons and just show them exactly how I would do it. And from start to finish, how to scout, how to look for elk, how to find elk on the mountain, how to kill an elk. All that. And so in that case, where I'm just looking for essentially a broadside elk, probably a five-point or better, I am going to cover ground. I don't care if there's, you know, elk sign everywhere. If there's aren't elk talking, I'm probably not going to stay in there. And it also depends on how open it is. I mean, I I am pretty versatile in being able to glass and call and do all the techniques. So a lot of guys are just call guys or some guys are just glassing guys. Uh, my background, I feel like I'm more comfortable in the timber calling it elk. So that's probably what I would stick to. And if I, I mean, I'm, I'm covering ground until bull beagles at me and he wants to play and I'll, so I'll keep, I'll check every drainage. It's like, I'm not hunting any one drainage. I'm hunting the entire unit, the entire mountain. Like it's, that's my playground for the next eight days. And we're going to find the elk that wants to play on that playground. So you would ask what would we do differently or what, um, Mm -hmm. how would we change our scenarios? Um, so you're, you say you're, you're talking about drainages and and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think our main focus was, you know, trying to find the transition from like water to the North facing slopes. Right. So that's kind of like where we, everything we did, we kind of went up and, we didn't, I mean, we went down a little bit, but we never got into any elk when we went down into these drainages. Um, I guess, how could we have changed that strategy or what, what are you looking for? You're just looking for one to sound off 
So you're not. Yeah. So it's going to depend on, I mean, you've probably listened to a lot of these podcasts, but it's going to depend on time of year. So what was the dates you guys were there? We were there for the first 10 days. So, so September 1 through 10? Yeah. Yep. So it depends on the area. I've had places in Idaho where a lot of the big bulls will stay. And see, this gets into like, I'm looking for the big bulls and not necessarily the elk. So the elk are essentially the herd of elk, which is going to be the cows, the raghorns, the spikes. Um, most of your big bulls are going to be off either high up or down low. So they're going to be in deep, dark drainages, or they're going to be uh, way up on top of a mountain. It just depends on the terrain and how those elk use essentially they're getting away from people. Some bulls like to go really high and they're not going to get people up there. So they live in these, you know, avalanche shoots and on the edges of them where the wind's perfect and swirls all the time. Uh, and so essentially like the big bulls or most of your mature bulls are going to be away from the herd of elk. It's really important for me to know where the herd of elk is because like you're thinking about where elk are bedding and where they're watering. I almost pay zero attention to where elk are watering. Um, in my history, I've just had zero luck trying to figure that out. And most elk switch their waters. They'll they'll find little creeks out west. There's just water, and they don't need much. I mean, it's a minute creek that has you know maybe a seep on one spot that I don't even know about. It's just not. It's not something you can pattern like you would a whitetail. Uh, so I almost pay no attention to it. North-facing slopes are good to look at on a map, and it might be a good starting point to try to find some elk. But it's not the end-all, be-all, I think, that um, some people make it out to be. I mean, you'll find elk where elk are. Uh, and usually that's away from people. That's a good starting point. Uh, so going back to that, you know, like how could you change instead of looking there? Uh I would cover ground until I found the herd of elk. Now, depending on dates, that's going to tell me some different information on, on what they're doing, where they're going. But early September, we're looking at a bunch of elk that are together. You may have some five to six year old bulls that are trying to start to sound off and pipe off. And they're going to be within earshot of the big herds. And sometimes you get the big bulls that'll come in there and start looking around too. Uh, it just, it depends on each individual elk has a different personality. And then, you know, I've hunted elk where it was nothing but cows and raghorns until the 12th of September. And then like out of nowhere, there's just big bulls everywhere. And I can't explain it. So, you know, those are, those are the things that come from experience. Like you talked about, it's just what you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and so as I think about it, when I get to a unit, say I show up in Idaho and I'm in unit, I don't know, just throw a number out there, 66 or something. It doesn't matter. 36, 39. If I get to unit 39, I want to be like, okay, here's the places I think I'll find elk away from people. And so I am locating. I'm covering ground and locating and locating. And I'm trying to find most of those young bulls, those satellites, uh, the raghorns, the five points, they'll pipe off, you know, morning, evening, sometimes they'll pipe off. And that's going to tell me where the herd is, which is good information. It's not the end all be all. And if I want to just kill an elk, I'll probably go after that herd um, in the mornings or evenings, you know, midday, maybe it just depends on whether, uh, you know, you can hunt some big bulls in the middle of the day, but sometimes the small bulls, I mean, it just depends. If, I mean, if you ain't got anything else, they might as well do a try to call them in. Now, if I, that's the only herd I know about and it's not the perfect scenario, maybe I'd, 
bypass, and now we're getting like deep into t- tactics territory. But essentially, I'm looking for the elk in that unit. I just want to know where elk are. And so, you know, we chose Idaho because, you know, we had an opportunity with someone that mm-hmm. knew an area in there. So we had a, a jumping off point, a, a place to drop our coolers and all that stuff. And, you know, some, someone who had um, some knowledge of the area and it was any elk. So it was, there wasn't, it wasn't spikes or four on one side or branch bull or, you know, it yeah. was cow, anything like that. Um, so that was, I think one of the things that w- like we looked at it as a positive thing because it, you know, we had, a, if we had an opportunity to shoot an elk and we had talked about that even before we went out there was like, you're, you're, if you get an opportunity, it's going to be the first elk that you get an opportunity at. And we were both cool with shooting yeah. a spike or a cow or, or, or anything, you know, that we, yeah. But, but as far as different States, you know, we've talked a lot about Idaho of all the States out West and, you know, with all of you, you do with the Wapiti Wednesday and the tag Tuesday and, and all of that talking about all of these different tags, draws, et cetera, et cetera. If someone just wanted to do an elk hunt, get out there do it by themselves for archery elk you know what would be the states that you'd be looking at i i still think idaho is one of the best states out there for that um you know if i could draw a tag in new mexico great sweet i think that's a bonus i think it's a better state um and i would put in for new mexico if uh you know i i would just gonna i'm getting on go hunt i'm gonna just hey what units can I, that are worth going to. Right. And so like, make sure it's worth going there. Uh, for me, New Mexico is a great unit or it's a great state. Uh, awesome elk hunting. It's a long ways away. And so I, I put that into consideration. Uh, me, Idaho has always been the closest. And so that's kind of the tag that I've always picked up as a second tag. It's over the counter. I can buy it during season. Uh, that's a huge benefit to me. So if I, if I tag out, I can run over to Idaho and grab a tag and keep, keep the keep the party going uh you know wyoming's great if i could draw a general wyoming tag with zero points yeah i'd take that over idaho um and so it's it's a little bit rel- it's all relevant i guess um i think i i don't know colorado real well i've never hunted there uh i know guys do it and do it well um i guess if i had it i could probably go there and figure it out i think idaho's a little bit tougher or sorry colorado's a little bit tougher to get away from people but, you know, Idaho's a great choice because most of those places, like you said, it's any elk. Yeah. I mean, so the the way that this elk hunt came about was John was planning a, a hunt in Montana, and mm-hmm. it turned into 10 guys going for a romp through the woods to, to hunt elk. And so he didn't want to do that, you know, that big of a party that, that it wasn't the, the trip that he was looking for. And so, so I, one of the questions that I got, and I want to dig into this a little bit, because I think I see not an issue, but I, one of the things I would point out to other people, um, as maybe a caution is like, what kind, like what kind without giving away like anything, like what kind of advice did you get? Was it like, Oh, if you go to ABC drainage, I've seen elk there before. No, I, I mean, I don't think so. You know, we sat down with the maps and he's like, you know, I used to camp here and I've killed a bull here. I've, yeah. I killed my first elk down there. They're usually here. Um, you know, 
there's some water here. There used to be a wallow up there. Um, That's some pretty good info. Yeah. Yeah. So and was it accurate? For the most part. I mean. Yeah, I, I would say. But like I said, it took us X amount of time to get there. I, one of the things that I think he was doing for us, too, was giving us like kind of like an easy uh, um, entrance to elk hunting. Because, yeah. I mean, the the elevation we were at was like between 55 to 66 or something like that. So we weren't real high. Um, and like, like I said, the truck was about five, 5,000 and we were, you know, the highest point we made it up to a 65. So, yeah. So everything was pretty kind of easy. So I think he put us over there saying like, look, there's, I know that there's elk around here. Um, there's not a lot of other hunters that go in there. There's not a ton of elk but there's elk there and you guys should, you know, kind of be able to figure it out. Yeah. And I, you know, that's one of the things that I see a lot happen a lot. And it's, it's great to have a starting point because you just look at the state of Idaho. It's very hard to be like, uh, where the hell do I go? Um, whereas when you kind of even just get a starting point, that's, that's great. Cause it's just like, okay, that's where we're going. At least, at least we have that. What I see a lot of people do is only rely on that or rely too heavily on it. So a lot of guys will get information from a buddy who was there 10 years ago. I was like, oh, hey, yeah, we hunted here. There was elk everywhere. And they're like, sweet. And then, and I'm not saying you guys did this, but I just want to caution a lot of people is that always have your own backup plans. And it goes back into having a lot of plans. It's a great starting point, but I, I see so many people be like, oh, man, Joe said there was going to be elk there and there just wasn't. And then it's like they almost give up on the hunt when there's when there wasn't a bull standing where Joe told them to. And so I, I was just cautioning people like, yeah, when you get information, take it with a grain of salt. Even I do like from good buddies, like I, I guys I know really well that are great hunters. They can tell me like, Hey, last year we got an elk here. Sweet. And I'll be like, great. That's a really good starting point, but I'm also going to have all of my own plans. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for us, like our experience with anyone having to do with anything about elk has been 180 degrees different than whitetail hunting. Nobody wants to get, I mean, and so we're through this journey of podcasting, we're starting to um, interact with a, a little bit different character of people, I'd say. So, so we are starting to seek out and find those people that are actually willing to help you. Um, cause that's kind of what we're trying to do is like I said, we're, I mean, I've touted myself as the world's worst bow hunter for as, <laughs> as long as we've had the podcast. Um, and you know, so we're trying to learn as we go along. Um, but I would say that with elk hunting and, and Western hunting and John can attest to this too, is like everyone that we talk to. And I think the difference is, is because we're not looking for trophy bulls. So we're just looking for any elk. So yeah. I would have been happy shooting that raghorn or, or the spike or, or whatever, because the only thing that was missing from our hunt was that pack out that, that portion to complete that, that journey. Um, you know, because I mean, to me, that would be like the culmination of, of the whole thing. And so I think most of the information that we've got has been like good solid information but we went into it knowing that 
that could have been last year and there could be a fire. There could be, you know, mm-hmm. numerous other things that have. Could have been someone in there the day before killing one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. You could just have people in there. And, and, uh, and I, I, I think most people, you know, have good intentions. Uh, and I'm not saying like all the information people are going to get is, is bad information. I think it just, mm, people use it as a crutch maybe. Um, and I've been guilty of this too, you know, like going into a hunt, like, Oh, so-and-so said, this is, this is the spot we need to go here. And I didn't think about my own plan B's and that kind of, that cost me because, you know, I got there, uh, I think of a specific hunt where the guy's like, man, you need to go here. And the road he told me, he was like gated and was like, ah, you can't go there. And it's like yeah, 10 miles in. And I was like, ah, you know, is it worth going in there? Blah, blah, blah. We work around, go the other way. But it just like, never really panned out the way this guy had told me and it was now i'm like trying to hit the drawing board while i'm on a hunt and i that's the one thing i would i hate doing is trying to recalculate or going back to the drawing board whilst on a hunt so i'd like to talk uh, like i said with this podcast everything tends to kind of be a little bit self-serving where i'm trying to learn and for the listeners well (laughs) so i i i I do want to get into um, a little bit of the antelope um, stuff, but I guess for, for somebody going out on their first elk hunt um, and everything that you've done, everything that you've talked, every person that you've talked to, all of your experiences, what would be the top three things that you would, you would say that might be overlooked because everybody, you know, is going to learn about the North facing slopes and the wind and, um, you know, I'll try to get away from people, all, all of that sort of thing. But what would be your top three, like overlooked or things most commonly, most common mistakes for a new elk hunter? I would say the number one most common mistake for a new elk hunter is trying to go, you know, air quotes back country. And I think it's trying to hike into a specific spot. And I think if you're a new elk hunter, you need to focus on places that allow you to be mobile. That is huge. Um, and even though, you know, I horseback in into the back country and I am not mobile at all, there's a difference there. And I just think it's really important in those early days to be able to have a lot of opportunities and that's how you're going to learn. So I think that's the number one thing. Um, and I, I think preparation and not so much gear. Like, I think people worry about gear too much, and they don't plan enough. Uh, and I don't mean, like, yeah, I will just leave it at don't plan enough, you know, whether it's plan B or not. And the other thing is I think people are – and it, this – I totally get that it's the experience you want. If you want to go – like, you want to come out west, and you want to hike to the top of the tallest mountain and have that backcountry experience – then by all means go for it. But if you want to kill elk, I think it's better to be more mobile. Yeah, I think, and that's that's kind of the mistake we made. We kind of stuck to one, uh, I mean, realistically it was a small area compared to what, mm-hmm. you know, the unit was. We, we could have taken, you know, multiple days and just branched off and gone farther, you know, got away from that and tried to find elk in different areas. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, so to change it up and to transition over to, um, you know, we're trying to go on this antelope hunt 
And yeah, the I guess what's your background with uh, archery antelope hunting? Because there's the spot and stock, and there's the sit on water hole type thing. So I grew up in Oregon, which uh, antelope tags are about the same as uh, uh, mountain goat tags, and not quite, but very, very, very hard to get. It is uh, almost a once in a lifetime thing, maybe twice. Uh, and so, like you, you grow up with like this dream of going antelope hunting, like this one time event. And uh, so I think it was the first one I did. Yeah, so it would have been Montana. So I had a Montana uh, archery antelope. It was a, a tag you could get. You know, it's the 900 tag. It's a great tag. Uh, it's, you know, basically you put in and you get it. And it's a great opportunity to archery antelope elk or antelope, archery antelope hunt. Excuse me. Uh, and so that one I did ended up spotting stocking, had a blast. Uh, you know, it was a fun hunt. Uh, I think I was done in a few days so it's it's not a really long hunt uh, i drew a tag in nevada for another arch channel up hunt did that one drew a pretty coveted tag in oregon and that one i wanted to sit on water uh just because it was a pretty premier area so i've done a little bit of the sitting on water enough to know uh enough to know that it's uh it, it's an endurance endurance sport if you will um and then i've done quite a bit of or kicking a couple bucks with uh spot and stock as well so i think the spot and stock is the way that we're we're leaning and you know like we had talked about you know it's a much different like even going into it thought process than than elk because i guess the way that i view it and like i said driving through all the states to get to Idaho and seeing antelope everywhere and seeing, you know, you watch videos or you, you talk to other guys that have hunted them, you know, it seems like it's going to be a million different blown stocks. And, you know, then, then you, you come out ahead on, on one of them or, or something goes right. It's a game of numbers at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so with that, it's, What's your goal? Is that okay? What's your goal with an antelope hunt? Just to shoot an antelope. There is no. Uh, I mean, I we were we were t like literally we were talking about it last night, and I I mean, obviously you can see one antelope is bigger than the other, but I couldn't score one. I couldn't. I could look at a a, a Boone and Crockett um, antelope. And you could put one that was half the size right next to it, and be like, "Well, they're both pretty good antelope." I mean, yeah. we, I, you know, it's, it's like what it's like. Uh, might as well be hunting chupacabra. Like I couldn't tell you which one is bigger. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've shot big ones, and I I have no, almost no desire to like. If I saw a cool, I've seen some cool bucks. Like last summer, I found a buck we called El Diablo, and he just had one of the coolest racks I've ever seen. And that would be cool, but, like, from that, I've killed a giant or a good buck, so, like, I don't have a whole lot of desire. So, for me, it's just about chasing them. I love, you know, spot and stop. And so, just doing it is fun. And this, the reason I ask this is because this is going to go back to that planning situation where I think it's so important. And it, you're going to come into this and say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to set water. I just want to spot and stock. But on day three or four, when you have had zero opportunities, it'll be really nice if you have a backup plan and you know about a water hole 
and that water hole's got antelope on it. So if it was me, and we can kind of dive into a lot of planning stuff, I would definitely be thinking about those, you know, those fallback plans as far as water. So if you're like, okay, well, here's a, you know, here's a very remote water hole, or here's all the remote water holes. The first day, we're and this is a great scouting opportunity because, unlike when I told you uh, with elk, water doesn't matter. Antelope water 100% matters. So, the first day, I'm gonna go scout every remote water hole I can and just try to figure out where the antelope are. And I think that's you know a part of just knowing okay which micro basins and we call them basins, but it, really they're like swells really in the in the terrain depending on where you're on. Uh, but like what remote water has antelope around it or on it and then from there like okay we could always fall back to this water hole but let's just spot and stock for the first three days okay and so one of the other things is like for us in particular but you know so for for some of our other listeners that might want to do you know because i've heard you talk about you know it being kind of like a a, a hunt you could do like with your family or something like that. So yeah. the, like my father-in-law who's, he's on the podcast um, and he's, he's a riot is <laughs> 65 years old or, or whatever, not in great shape. He, um, you know, he'll go out and hunt whitetails a mile back in with his climber. And you know, he's still, he's still hunting the same way. Um, but you know, we talk about going on an elk hunt and it's, it's trying to figure out like, you know, how we can do an elk hunt with him and, and whatever. So I think it's probably a good like start for him to go out there and, and kind of do that and move through, you know, little undulations in the, in the country and climb up to the, these high points and do some glassing and, and stuff like that. Is I guess the physicality of even the spot and stock, um, what do you think that is like on a scale of one to mountain goat hunting? <laughs> uh, it's tough. I like can spot stock antelope is, is pretty tough. I've had some brutal uh, stocks. I think if you have two guys, it's different because a lot of the times I've hunted by myself and that's, I would say twice as hard, if not three times as hard to spot stock antelope by yourself uh, versus having a decoy of any kind, whether it's a antelope or like even a moo cow, if you're in the moo cow area, but like just something, uh, the antelope decoys are worth their weight in gold, uh, when you're trying to stock just to take that attention off you. Uh, but they're tough. Uh, I mean, they're not impossible, but it's, it's not an easy stock. I will give, I'll say that. Yeah. I, I mean, we have little to no experience stocking anything. Um, so it's just kind of walk, you know, kind of watching everybody else and, and how, it, how it goes. And like, that's what I, that's what I, I mean, the way that I think about it is like I say, it's just going to be in my head, like the hunt of a spot and stock antelope is either, you know, go find a high point glass and figure out where they're at. Kind of like what you're talking about and then go try and figure out how to get in on them or drive around in some of these areas that are you know, open to hunting, see some antelope and then figure out a plan and look. And I mean, I guess, you know, in, in listening and, and watching some of it, it's like, you know, pull up Onyx, find where there is those little low spots and figure out how you can use the wind and, 
kind of move. And then once you get into a spot where you're on the same plane as them, then that's where it comes into your skill level and, and luck, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Like spawn stock antelope is pretty freaking tough. Uh, Montana actually has some great, because the terrain I think is, is good. Like if you can get behind some terrain, whereas, you know, a lot, I mean, Montana or Wyoming has terrain too, and it just depends on the unit issues. Uh, but a lot of places in Wyoming, I mean, we're talking out or antelope can see you from you know, half mile, mile away. And if they've been pressured much, uh, past opening day, I mean, man, it can be tough to get within rifle range. So that was one of the questions I was going to have for you is like, how, I mean, you know, driving through, it seems like they're the antelope population of the Western states is more than the people. I saw more antelope than I did see cars or people, I feel like, in a lot of those areas. So that pressure, you know, it, it, when we think about it for white-tailed deer, I mean, we hunt in Michigan, one of the highest pressure states, 100 density numbers just through the roof. So getting away from people, etc. I mean, I think that that's you know, one of the things you're going to have to bank on if you're on public land, but with the numbers being what they are, what is the importance in the time frame? you know, not knowing anything about antelope and their rutting activity, the, the amount, you know, their habits, you know, how they move through the day, what they're doing. Um, you know, is it important to be there for opening day, you know, for archery, because that's going to be start, or, I mean, a part of me thinks that, like, as soon as you get into September 1st, maybe those antelope have been hunted, but there's going to be a lot of guys that are elk hunting. I mean, the further you get in, through the season, there there may be less. I, that's just my thought process is, like, more of those people, like yourself, are probably going to be saying, okay, well, I'm going to be elk hunting in September. It's September now. Um, so imagine if I drove through Michigan and I was like, Man, there's friggin' a whitetail everywhere. I'm sitting in like middle, you know, I don't know, some of, I don't even know what time of year you would see the most. Let's just say December or Jan or uh, no late November. And I'm like, man, there's whitetail everywhere. It can't be that hard to kill a whitetail. You'd probably laugh at me and be like, yeah, well, when you get in there in the woods, it's a little bit different on opening day or opening week, right? Right. right. <laughs> so similarly. Hunting, let's just use Wyoming, for example. Uh, you see a lot of antelope. Most of those places you can't hunt. And it just you, if you look at your onyx, it kind of depends. Um, but you would be amazed. You think you're seeing antelope everywhere. But realistically, you're only seeing antelope on private lands. And when you start to really hunt for them, you realize that when the second they touch public lands, they're getting hunted. So the... The catch-22 in Wyoming is that for a unit, the higher the points for a unit in Wyoming doesn't necessarily mean that the quality of antelope is better. It just means that there's more public land. So the coveted units in Wyoming are more who has more public land that has antelope on it, so low, low ground. Um, give you an example. Uh, this year or last year, I drew an antelope tag in uh, Wyoming. And I was down there, I took a trip down there in the summertime to scout, and there was antelope everywhere. And I was like, oh, this is going to be an easy hunt. You know, this is just stupid. There's more antelope than people by, 
like a 10x proportion. There's antelope everywhere. And then uh, I went down, I think, opening weekend. I don't know if I hit opening day or not. Um, but I took, I, I do a little bit of hunting with like old school guns. And so I took my um, sharps, uh, my sharps rifle down there. And twice I put stocks on antelope and had people shooting at the antelope before I got there. And it was this realization that like, there's people just running around everywhere, lobbing bullets at antelope that are touching public. I was like, this is chaos. I'm out of here. Um, I don't even have like a different gun. So it didn't really work out. I only had it for a day. And I was like, well, I'll come back midweek. No one will be here. Cause this is a weekend. I think it was opening weekend actually. Um, and I came back, uh, and did end up when I came back, in the midweek, the antelope had very strategically been on all private and all the public. I mean, there's very little public in this unit, but it was very tough to find antelope on public. Still antelope everywhere. Just they knew where they could not be hunted at. Uh, and I ended up killing a, uh, getting my buck and my doe and it was doable, but this is rifle, not uh, archery. Uh, similarly, I know one of my good friends, he's hunting archery down there and, uh, you know, had a hard time. A lot of the bucks get chased around and, you know, there's hunting pressure is real. And the amount of public land that is there is a big piece of that. And so if you want to draw a zero point unit or even a second choice unit, then those antelope are going to be hunted period into the conversation. There's not going to be a lot of places to hunt them. So the very limited spots are going to have people hunting them. So if I was you and I was Die hard set about because with Wyoming you can hunt archery or rifle. Uh, if I was dead set on on killing a buck with archery equipment, I would be there opening day. Now during open, I mean during the opening day, you know the first you know the first week of season. Are you guys using uh, um, decoys and stuff? I mean, how how well do they work for that? I mean, obviously they're not in the rutting phase at that point or you just use them yeah, as they're, not, they're, they're not i mean i guess you're right i would probably be focused more on using like a moo cow decoy or water holes uh i i can't say i think you could get away with hunting in september like you said when most guys are elk hunting because the the long it's like a catch too. the longer you wait the more towards rut they get and the dumber they get um but there's a lot more eyes. And so, you know, first week of season, you might be able to find a big buck that just doesn't really care and, you know, slip on him or find out where his water. And, um, so man, I don't know. It kind of goes both ways. Like there's, there's benefits of being there opening day. There's benefits of being there, you know, late September before the rifle season start. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what John's expectations are like for, for the hunt. Um, but for me, it's like, I just want to get out there and screw up on a whole bunch of animals. As I think yeah. that that's, the, that's definitely my <laughs> my intentions, too. I just want to get out there and chase them around. I mean, I've been wanting to do it for, I mean, for a long time. So, and then, see, it was two years ago when I was out in Montana and just seeing them all around. I'm like, man, I got to get out here, at least hunt some antelope if I can't get out here on an elk trip. The thing I like about the August seasons is that they tend to be a little more relaxed. 
I feel like it gives you a better opportunity for spot and stock. Right. So outside of the decoys, um, and I've heard you talk about it, and it seems like there's um, different philosophies um, on do you want that lighter, faster arrow? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for the archery setup, I mean, what is your – John usually asks this question because he's the bow guy. But, you know, what archery setup are you shooting right now with arrow weight, broadheads, etc.? So for me, uh, I don't switch from my elk setup. So I'm still shooting uh, full metal jackets with 125 grain kudu on the front. And, and I use that for uh, archery antelope. If I was you and I was like, oh, well, I wanted to, if I, I was just someone who wanted to set up the perfect setup for antelope. The reason I do that is because I like to keep everything the same and I don't want to switch. Uh, I, that's what I shoot all summer. That's what I'm going to shoot. You know, if I go antelope hunting before elk season, so I, I stick to that. That's not to say that that's the best antelope setup. I, I would definitely go light and fast if it was me. And I would, I would specifically, I would probably go micro diameter and I'd probably go expandables, uh, just because you're going to be fighting the wind. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're just singing the tune of John. So I'm a, <laughs> a simple guy. Like I, my stuff is all the same, and and it's different every day that i'm i mean i'm looking at five yeah. different arrow setups right here right now and uh, so when we went elk hunting he completely rebuilt his bow with 80 pound limbs and i don't know how what, what 560 grain arrow yeah yeah 560 grain full length arrows yeah that's that's what i like for elk is you know uh single bevel lots of weight hit them hard uh, and then antelope, you know, I curse it cause my, they're gone. There's in the next County before my arrow gets there. It's like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and I mean, like I say, um, on that elk, I was perfectly comfortable taking that shot at 60. Um, you know, we shoot, we do uh, around here, the total archery challenge comes by and we, we shoot, you know, out to over a hundred ever, you know, all summer long. So we're planning for you know half that you know 50 60 yards is a comfortable shot yes yeah, su- super doable um what's the average ranges or i mean what what is I, obviously your ability your comfort level is going to be you know within that ethical range but i mean what is the average shot would you would say outside of a, a water hole scenario uh so uh, here's a funny story the first first antelope i ever shot at uh was in montana and uh i had a friend that knew some antelope were and so he set up this blind on this fence line where they were coming down off the hill and crossing and uh this antelope jumps the fence and he's standing there on this hill has no idea i'm even there not even looking at the blind and i launched an arrow at 60 yards exactly and that that antelope was 10 feet away when the arrow hit the ground and i thought oh wow this is gonna be difficult like this is insane i mean, like i've seen jump jump a string but this antelope was 10 feet away when that arrow hit the ground and uh i was like okay um uh, and from there i think i've taken uh one at 30 one at 66 um uh, mostly closer 40 somewhere in there uh you know i would say out west it's nothing to have a 60-yard shot. I think 
anything over 60, you just, I don't, man, that's like, antelope is just going to move. The 66-yard shot I took was on a bed in antelope and just 12 ringed him. But it was like anything other, man, I think over 60. And there's too many too many factors of an antelope. They're just too fast, um, even if you have a ultra fast bow and you micro diameter and all that jazz. Like I, I don't like to shoot over 60, but I think, you know, if you're spotting stock, it's just how close you can get. Right. And I think getting below 50 is very difficult on a spot and stock antelope. So, I mean, obviously out West you're dealing with winds. I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I guess it depends on what state or what area you're in. I mean, like, what are you comfortable shooting at, you know, and what wind-wise? Oh, wind-wise? Yeah, I mean. Um, I, I've never really judged wind. Um, I shoot, Well, my house is windy as all get out. Um, so we shoot every day in the wind. I actually have to shoot before the wind picks up. Um, you know, I, I, I would say 10 miles an hour, but I honestly don't know that I could answer that. Okay. Uh if I was feeling the wind, I'd be like, yeah, it's too windy. I don't know what the number is. I've never really taken a uh, wind reading when I was out there and been like, oh, it's too windy. Now, it's a good idea. I probably should, but I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. Sorry. That's, <laughs> well, I mean, because that's one of the things. I mean, if you're taking, like, a you know, perfect example, is, you know, I'm out in Idaho and it's like the most stressful situation and there wasn't any wind, but it was like, okay, I'm not comfortable taking that shot. And, the average shot is say, you know, 50 to 60 yards and, you know, the wind is whipping across the plains and you're trying to figure out like, you know, is this, am I wasting an opportunity by not taking the shot because it's windy or is that the, you know, is that the baseline that that's not even windy? Like this is windy, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, I, that's a great question that I don't have the answer to because I've never really taken a meter, but I would like, if I was, I put that into context of like a situation, say I'm putting in a stock and I get to 60 yards and the wind is just, it's huffing and puffing. It's not even consistent. I'm definitely gonna be like, well, I guess we got to get closer. You know, I'm going to move in, you know, 40 yards. My arrow's not doing much. Mine's pretty damn heavy, which is, I guess an upside. Uh, so at 40 yards, you know, I might drift an inch or two, but I, no, I can, compensate for that um so i guess that's kind of how i think about it. like i guess i just got to get closer i wouldn't take you know a 50 60 yard shot it was not with my setup at least um you know with a 15 20 mile an hour wind okay yeah because like i say going out there you know our expectation is just i guess to see a antelope and get within 100 yards and screw it up and then if you know if we if we do any better than that then it's going to be a success because that'll be accomplished i promise (laughs) because i mean i I feel like that's the fun part and i think you know everybody that measures i mean obviously you're you're paying money or, or whatever but if you measure your success on just the kill and you know then you know hire an outfitter and hunt with a rifle and you know, you're yeah. still, you, you'll, you'll definitely have higher odds of success than going out to an area you've never been to hunting an animal that you've never attempted a, you know, attempted no, to antelope kill. Is, antelope is so fun and archery, like I love going to archery antelope hunting just because it is a challenge. You put in a bunch of stocks and 
I don't know. It's just a fun hunt for me. I use it as a great way to get gear tested before you know before an elk hunt. Uh, kind of get back, knock the rust off, so to speak, because uh, it's been a while, and it'll definitely teach you a few things about stalking. Like, is one of the more difficult animals to stalk, that's for sure. Now, I heard in one of your podcasts, uh, you recommend knee pads and yes. uh, and like some at least some kind of glove to uh, so yeah. you don't tear your hands up. Yeah, I uh, that comes from Nevada, and I put a six and a half hour stock on in a hunt. I well, I think it was over a hundred. Um, yeah, it was over a hundred degrees. Six and a half hour stock on rocks and brutal, nasty nothingness, and just the ground was hot, and burning my hands, and no, no knee pads, no gloves. I I've taken my face mask off and wrapped it around one of my hands, and was just kind of using one hand. Because the rocks were so freaking hot. But, yeah, uh, knee pads, if you want to put in some stocks. That and, uh, you know, everything prickly. Uh, good pair of good pair of really thick wool socks, which sounds counterintuitive. But um, it's uh, take your boots off and stock in your thick wool socks. Okay, yeah. So I think, you know, we talked about the your, your three things for, for elk hunting. For a guy going out antelope hunting, I guess, you know, it sounds like you're real big on, on Wyoming, uh, but you've hunted some other states. Um, why is Wyoming, because Wyoming sounds like a draw where, like, we're looking at South Dakota because you put in and it's it's basically guaranteed type thing. Um Well, for the record, I've never hunted South Dakota, so um I... You know, I know guys have hunted it. I know it's uh, it's closer to you. And one of the <laughs> big things when I talk about uh, out-of-state hunts, I, I always tell people, you know, go to the one that's closer to you because it just, you know, it's the same reason I don't hunt in Mexico, even though I think it's better than Idaho. Uh, it's way farther away. And so it's going to change the experience and how much I get to go there. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't bad an eye going to South Dakota. There's probably less people there. So you might be able to get, um, some better hunting. Okay. And with those, like I say, the three things for elk hunting for a new guy for antelope hunt, what do you think would be the, the top three things like not to overlook? Um, like I say, I mean, you hear our perspective where it's just going to be, I mean, I, I guess a, a fun time really, because it's like, yeah. I think again, the, the kill would be a bonus, but to get out there and you know try and put some stocks on and you know try and hone your skills i guess and, and that's one thing i think with all of these things that we're talking about kind of like what you said is kind of like knock the rust off you know that elk hunt even though it um you know we didn't know what we were doing going into it the amount of time that i spent studying onyx the maps you know shooting my bow you know, it made everything for whitetail season like yeah. that much easier. Like it was so much different, you know, carrying a, you know, 30 pound stand in, you know, where we had 50 pound packs or 60 pound packs. Like when we started, you know, it was, it was no big deal. And we were going in, you know, three quarters of a mile and we were going in, you know, three miles or five miles or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So I guess from, from that point, like, what do you, 
what do you think are the most overlooked things or, or three like key points to like not downplay for, for an antelope hunt? I would say, um, think about where other people are going to be. And that's kind of tough because, um, depends on every state, you know, I, I think it goes back to having backup plans. I would say throw a blind in just in case, uh, I, I think that's a it's a great option because you know four days four days I don't know how long you're up for but like if you're going for five days and four days you're like man we we could kill kill one if we had this uh, make sure you like kind of it goes into like the logistics of an out of state hunt when it comes to an antelope hunt you have the ability you're probably going to be truck camping I don't foresee you kind of bivouacking on an antelope hunt so I mean bring the kitchen sink like bring everything I think that's the one thing people come out west and. You know, oh man, I should have brought a decoy or I should have brought this. Like when I say knee pads and, and decoys and a blind and, you know, everything you need to make this hunt successful, no matter how it goes. I think that's really important. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I've done that, you know, not taking, you know, just bombed out there. I'm going to do a spot and stock hunt. Well, what if the spot and stock hunt turns into, uh, what if you roll your ankle and now you have to sit water? Yeah, how are you going to do that? Um, so that's kind of uh, two things to think about. If you have a meat cart too, I don't know. That's a <laughs> just popped in my head, but that's kind of an overlooked thing. A lot of guys uh, use meat carts because you could be walking across the desert for quite a ways. Um, that brings me to another point. It just kind of popped in my head. It was something that I was thinking about. But one thing about the blind um, is there like a camel pattern? I mean, everything that we have is mossy oak, a real tree, or or whatever. And I don't think that that. I mean, it, that would seem to be like out of place out there out in the middle of uh, the field they're all out of place i don't think it matters uh <laughs> you know and they they uh they really look at those that they look you know oh what's that thing but i as long as it's not a human because you know i set blinds on it's just flat as flat can be and you could see for a mile in every direction and there's a blind stand there uh yeah i don't think it matters okay but on that that meat cart thing um you know, I've, I've heard you talk about it and it was something that I'm not, or wasn't aware of at all about like the intricacies of like antelope meat, um, being oh, yeah. kind of different, I guess. Yeah. One of the things, you know, a lot of people won't like antelope meat, but it's, it's probably more of their preparation. So antelope meat is very important to get it cooled down as fast as you possibly can. And say you're on a September hunt out West or even an August hunt, it's going to be hot. And so a lot of guys will take a lot of guys that hunt out of state, like you guys are going to do, will take a, a little Costco chest freezer and a generator and get that thing just cooled down ASAP. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, and it's something that gets overlooked because people like to treat it like it's a whitetail. Uh, and it's not, you got to get that thing skin off now and cooled down as fast as you possibly can. Okay. That, that's definitely some good, good info there. We'll, we'll uh, have to invest in one of the two hundred dollar uh, chest freezers. <laughs> oh, I think it's well worth it, man. As you could just, uh, yeah, have that chest freezer on a trailer and a, and a Jenny. <laughs> That's the way to go. <laughs> well, Cody, I mean, we've kept you here for you know a bit over an hour now, and uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. I, I don't think we've got anything else. I'd really like to talk to you after you know we come back from uh, our antelope hunt and kind of maybe debrief that and kind of yeah, kind of sure. go through it's fun to see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Well, I mean, it'll just be probably more of like, oh, I wish we would have done this. Or like, <laughs> yeah, we certainly screwed them all up. That was, uh, you know, pretty much kind of what we expected. Um, well, that's pretty much the basis of hunting, isn't it? <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, well, you know, the world's worst bow hunter over here. It's like, well, I had 19 opportunities and uh, didn't didn't quite pan out. But um, so where can everybody follow? I mean, you've got a lot of stuff going on. So, I mean, guess kind of yeah. tell everybody kind of what you're doing <laughs> and kind of how uh, how they can and follow along with uh, with all your stuff. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, follow my podcast, Rich Outdoors, and pretty much all my socials, The Rich Outdoors. So follow along wherever, whenever. And uh, if you guys got any questions, let me know. Shoot me a message. I'm pretty good about answering them all. So try to anyway. Um, but, yeah, I think that's uh, kind of The Rich Outdoors on all the platforms. And uh, we actually just started a Patreon page. And so uh, doing a lot of – we basically have our elk content and our mealy content moving over there. And doing some cool giveaways. We're going to take one of the Patreons um, on a hunt this year. So, like I said, we're going to basically teach them how to scout, how to look at maps, how to find elk, how to hunt elk, all that good stuff. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's the starter to what is, uh, I guess, more to come, if you will. So hoping to give away a bunch of hunts on there. Uh, but we'll see. But, yeah. But thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. Hopefully I helped in some way or shape or form. <laughs> well, you also have your, um, is it the backcountry? Backcountry fuel oh, yeah. box, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we also have the backcountry fuel box. It's uh, it's a monthly subscription for like backcountry meals, snacks, bars. And really that started uh, just as someone who's way too busy to find all this cool new stuff myself. I, I saw one of these subscription boxes. I thought, man, they should have one of those for like green bellies and uh, fat fudge and all these cool things that I want to try. And uh, it kind of gave the idea to a few people and it never really took off. And I, you know, just wanted the box so bad myself, I guess I made it for myself. Um, but it's really taken off and uh, it's really cool, really fun. And man, it's blown me away at how many cool companies are out there for, you know, backpack snacks, meals, all that kinds of stuff. So some really cool options out there. It's really fun just to get to try it every month. And, and I think the, uh, I guess the secret personal benefit to me is like I always have snacks on hand which is you know <laughs> so I gotta make sure I get my box every month so I have enough snacks to go out and scout or move cameras or whatever I'm doing so that's actually like a perfect it's a perfect thing for the guys like us out east that you know that was one of the things that we you know research and try and uh, Adam end up making his own food but I was trying all different you know going up to the local uh was it 37 North and trying to find, you know, freeze dried meals and figure out which ones I like yeah. and stuff. So that's definitely something, you know, for like our listeners that would, uh, well, one of the out. things we want to, one of the things we really want to do and what we're trying to build is I really want to turn this into the Yelp of backcountry food. And I want it to be, you know, I mean, we see these products come out and you're like, oh, is it any good? Am I going to like it? Well, how cool would it be if there was 500 reviews on a certain meal uh, from guys like you that hunted and did these kind of things. And, you know, so as we kind of do this, we're, we're really trying to push to, for reviews and we're trying to push to become the Yelp of backcountry food, essentially. Um, we also want to add kind of a feature that, you know, say you guys are going to Idaho for, for 10 days or eight days 
and you're like, oh, I, really, I like these, and I like these green bellies, and I like these fat fudges or these F-bombs. Uh, as you add to cart per day, it's going to show you your caloric intake, your protein levels, you know, all your macros. So you know, okay, I got 3,600 calories per day, and here's the recommended. And when you hit ship, it's basically going to shrink wrap each individual day and ship it to you in a dry bag. So you have your eight-day trip ready to go all your meal prep done and you don't even have to worry about it. Oh man, that, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that's, I was... so that's where we're going. We're hoping to get there. Uh, you know, we don't want to grow too fast. Uh, I'm really focused on doing it right and not just trying to grow, uh, bigger than our britches, so to speak. So making sure we do it right and, and focus on the box, getting the box nailed down. So we've been doing the box for right at about a year now. Uh, so hopefully this year we'll kind of be launching some more stuff with what guys can order and as far as, you know, trip planning and things like that, meal preparation. Cool. Well, Cody, that sounds awesome. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that we can do, you know, when you're, when you're ready to go live on that, we can let all of our listeners know because that sounds uh, amazing. I mean, I know that that's what John had spreadsheets and they had everything, uh, you know, doing all that stuff. Uh, but we just really appreciate you coming on here and taking the time with us today. So I think that's pretty much hey, all thanks, we've got. Guys. Well, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's cool to see guys just kind of getting after it and uh, pulling the plug and going for it, you know, going elk hunting, going arrow hunting and, and uh, doing those things. I think uh, not enough people, I think too many people put that on the pedestal and never end up doing it. Yeah, kind of the basis of what we're doing here. So for all of our listeners, sure. get out there and try get something after new. It. So, all right. Well, thank you, Cody, and uh, just stay on the line here real quick. I think that's pretty much all we got for today. Oh, thank you. Sit down.